Merchant Defense Review podcast. I'm Richard Stupart. We're chatting today again to Adrian Ahnesian, who a short while ago was down in Lower Shabella with the groups from Amazon. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Do you want to maybe sort of fill in a little bit for some of our listeners who probably realize that Somalia had maybe fallen out of the news a little bit with a bunch of other news, particularly things like Ebola happening at the moment. What, and what is the situation in Somalia at the moment? Well, I think the situation here, I spent time with the Amazon troops, which is the African Union mission in Somalia. Um, so I spent time with the Ugandans. Um, but this is a force that's grown to 22,000 people. Um, and that's, that's groups um, from Uganda, Burundi, Kenya, Ethiopia, um, Djibouti, and Sierra Leone. So this trip was really just to see um, what it's like um, for these African Union, Union forces to be um, essentially fighting, fighting al-Shabaab. Um, and al-Shabaab has been mainly in the news recently because of the terror attacks that have been plaguing Kenya. And what is the security situation like in the areas that you saw? Has, I mean, how far has Amazon been successful in securing towns and, and also the areas, I suppose, surrounding and outside between them? Well, it's an interesting situation because Amazon is a military operation. So when they move into these towns, they are actually very successful militarily. So the town I spent time in, and I was probably one of the first foreigners besides the military to come into this town, um, you see that the town is in fact clear of al-Shabaab. So it's been taken over by the military. Shabaab is pushed out of that town. Um, so that, that is quite successful, and they've, they've been doing this. They did this in Mogadishu. Um, you know, al-Shabaab has been quote-unquote, out of Mogadishu since August 2011. But what does this really mean for the people who are there um, is, a different, is a different story. Um, just because al-Shabaab has been pushed out, um, then it becomes the role of the government to come in and, and supply people with, with health care, with schools, and that sort of thing. So we are seeing that the offensive... Um, at least in these main towns, it's quite successful. Um, what is less successful, really, um, is the government's ability to come in and, and provide services to the people once these towns are, in fact, clear of al-Shabaab. And what is the government's capacity to hold security on its own? Is it still heavily dependent on Amazon for clearing al-Shabaab and providing security afterwards? Yes, I think the government is completely dependent on Amazon forces. Um, this offensive uh, was titled Operation Eagle, and this was the first joint offensive between the Somali National Army and the African Union forces. Um, because really, the government forces have, they've been fighting for a long time, but in terms of any sort of system where they don't even have a military barracks in Mogadishu itself. So it's kind of still this undisciplined um, military group um, you know they are trying to fight alongside the AU, um, but in terms of in terms of kind of having any control or any terms of system, um, the Somali National Army really really is suffering, and and that's a result of resources in the country as well. Um, but the other main challenge for the government is that the Somali National Army is in fact infiltrated by Al Shabaab. Um, and really, it's, it's 
it's an opportunistic game because really what people are looking for is, is the basics. They're looking for food and shelter and uh, safety for their families. So you'll kind of, it's, it's, you're, you know, you're capable of going back and forth from Shabab to the National Army um, in such a way where it will best benefit you. Um, so that's another another main challenge is just the pure infiltration of the Somali National Army by Al Shabaab. And how did that? How does that cooperation between Amazon and the Somali Army appear to be working? I mean, did you see examples of, of people working together? Is there what are the levels of trust like? I think it's a difficult, difficult situation. I mean, in terms of the main offensives, the main push, um, the main resources, um, you know, you, you have to, those, those are all coming from Amazon. Um, and again, like a town like Corioli that I spent time in, so ideally the Amazon forces would come in and push out Al-Shabaab and then the Somali National Army would take over to kind of um, have some control, some system within this town um, to secure the town on their own and therefore allow the government to come in and, uh, or even NGOs to provide resources to the population. Um, but as one of the commanders was joking, he said, look, you can leave 200 soldiers from the Somali National Army in a town and you'll come back a week later and there'll be 20 of them left. Um, just because there's no there's no incentives to stay, you're not going to risk your life. You're not being paid um, very much money. Um, you don't have a military barracks. Maybe you don't even have uniforms supplied to you. Um, so it's very hard to motivate people um, to risk their lives or or even hold down a town um, when Al Shabaab is still was still a threat. It's just it's not worth it for a lot of people. And what has Shabab's strategy been over the last few months? Are they giving up towns largely without a fight and then just coming back in the evenings or you know, when Amazon leaves? Or is it, I mean, have, have there been proper stand-up battles at all between Shabab and the Amazon forces? Well, this is probably one of the most interesting things I learned while I was in Coriolis, which is that, yes, Al-Shabab has been pushed out of Coriolis. Um, so during the day, you can go through the town and and you most likely, as a um, as a military group, of course, not be attacked um, by Shabab during the daylight hours. But there definitely were instances of Shabab trying to move in um, during the night to either get supplies or um, even meet up with with some of their men who are still present in the town, just might not be as active. Um, so essentially, they are giving up these towns quite easily, and then just pushing back into the bush. So for example, I think outside of Coriolis, it was estimated that Shabab was about five to seven kilometers away. So this isn't, this isn't very far. Um, and the other thing they've been doing to try to kind of um, control the Amazon troops to a certain extent is they've been playing around with some of the old, um, old lock system. So they're, they're flooding different roadways and different fields to kind of cut off access um, for the AU troops. So they're using all these different strategies to make life difficult, um, but when it comes down to it, when the AU troops move into these towns, they, they don't seem to really stand a chance. Um, but most of Shabab's strategies at this point are um, the lying of IEDs, which is the improvised explosive devices in the roads, or, um, or setting up ambushes 
so those are the biggest the biggest threats um, it seems. And what were your impressions of the, the relationships between local communities and Al Shabaab? Was there I mean is there hostility towards Al Shabaab or is there still um, I mean are communities working with Al Shabaab in some cases? Well, I think some people might find it surprising that Al Shabaab actually, for the most part, treats the population quite well um, because it it really is a game of support. Um, Shabaab does need the support of communities, um, and so these people they don't really mind. Um, it seems who's in control. They just kind of want to get along and get through their lives. Um, and oftentimes, you talk to people. And they would say, well, in fact, our life in Coriole was was better under Al Shabaab because uh, it's a farming area. They had trade routes um, moving in and out, and they were able to sell their goods. And they also had um, other goods coming into the market um, and the town. So now, after the AU has come in and quote unquote freed this town from Al Shabaab, uh, you see Al Shabaab being pushed out of the town and then blocking these roads. Um, and in turn, they're blocking supply routes for the population in the town for the civilians. Um, so it's this strange situation where the life of the people in the town doesn't necessarily improve once Al-Shabaab has been pushed out. And I think that's, that's the reason why the government really needs to come in and prove to the people that they actually do have control and that they can provide resources and that they can provide schools and that they can provide healthcare. Because if you you don't show the people that you're going to do a better job than Al-Shabaab, then why not, why not welcome Al-Shabaab back, back into your community? Um, and so that's where the, the government really just needs to pick up its game um, and prove to the population. Um, that they're better. And from the people you spoke to, if a government, for example, Amazon, what is what, what was your impression of the long-term plan? So obviously not to keep chasing Al-Shabaab out into the countryside in every town, but they must have a longer-term strategy, presumably, to try and, as you say, step in and support or and, yeah, clear links on the roads, these sorts of things. Well, I think it's, it's definitely slow and... Um, I think they have been concentrating on the main towns because that's often a main source of revenue for El Shabaab. So Shabaab will be taxing people, or um, if Shabaab has control of port cities, that's a great way for them to gain some economic support. Um, so this upcoming offensive, which should begin in the next couple of months, um, is really going to focus on one of the last strongholds of Al-Shabaab, and that's the town of the port city of Barraway, um, which is only seven kilometers from Coriolay, um, where I was, where the African Union has moved in. Um, so I think the strategy is, or it seems, that they'll take over these large towns, take over these port cities, so um, Shabaab has less sources of revenue. And from your time there, what kind of other stories particularly that stood out or I mean, what were your impressions of, of the area? Had you been there before? I had not been in Lower Chevelle before, no. Um, I think what struck me the most and has struck me the most recently is just the insecurity in Mogadishu um, because I think we can look at Mogadishu as an example or at least a gauge for the situation in the rest of the country. Here we have the capital city. Al-Shabaab was pushed out 
in August 2011. But even in the last few months, um, in May, in July, we see attacks on the parliament building, we see attacks on the presidential palace. And what does this really say about how much control um, the government or even the AU forces have over the capital city? And if these things are happening in the capital, you can kind of imagine um, how that spreads out from there in these rural communities or these smaller towns around the country. Um, so that was a that was a surprise for me how things have been developing inside the capital, um, and I even had a chance. I did go out with the special forces, the African Union special forces, um, as they as they went through and tried uh, on night raids to capture Al Shabaab cells still operating inside of Mogadishu. But it, it's just a hard it's a hard battle to win, and you have so many different groups, and um, so. Yeah, we'll see what happens, and um, I guess the real challenge now for both the Somali National Army and the government is to try to really secure these areas um, for the civilians and try to bring things back back to normal in, in terms of daily life. But um, yeah, until you provide your civilians with some some resources, uh, it's going to be very challenging to not just continue the military way of life. Is there any, I mean, is anyone talking about negotiating with Al-Shabaab or at least with moderates in, in the group? Or is it is that completely off the cards from the people you'd spoken to in, as a kind of longer term strategy to, you know, or at least provide some sort of political stability? No, I think, I think as of now, um, kind of a military, <laughs> they're going the military route. Um, obviously, there is hope at some point that the cinema, the Somali National Army will be able to do to do this for their, for themselves. Um, but at this point, I think you know you have the EU and Bancroft trying to train soldiers. Um, but it really is something that um, Somalia can't handle on its own. Um, and also, it's a it's a threat for the wider region as well. Um, and it seems a military strategy is kind of the only only thing that's going to shut these guys down, um, at least for the time being. Um, but they've been losing, they've been losing steam, losing power. Um, so I think maybe negotiations would be considered if they had a bit more power and influence, but for the time being, it seems like, um, they really have no, no bargaining strength, if that makes sense. Yeah. And how has the the involvement of Kenya shifted, if at all, over the last few months? So it certainly had been an uptick in, in attacks in Kenya attributed to Al-Shabaab. Um, and originally, Al-Shabaab attacks were part of the impetus for Kenya's original intervention with its, a lot of its forces in southern Somalia. I mean, have you seen any, any changes in Kenyan involvement? Um, well... Surprisingly, I didn't, and this is something I also learned when I was there, is that the AU forces don't have any air power. So they don't have the ability um, to bomb. And as it was explained to me with military strategy, um, bombing is quite effective when the enemy is fleeing. So if the AU is approaching and there's ground fighting and Shabab begins to flee, that is actually when you can hit them with um, air power. And so... Yeah, I was quite surprised to learn that the African Union does not have the ability, does not have air power. Um, but Kenya does. 
And what I've discovered recently is Kenya has been picking up its aerial bombardments, um, which you can imagine is, is quite um, detrimental to Al-Shabaab's movement in Somalia. Um, so we were seeing a bit more of that. Um, but yeah, again, it's, it's, it's tough. Kenya's in a tough place where at this point, um, these bombings, these attacks, grenade attacks, the bus attacks, um, is really, really harming um, Kenya's economy, both with, uh, well, mainly with tourism, um, and also just local economy. Even in even in Nairobi, people are less likely to go out to restaurants, um, to be in crowded places after Westgate. I think people do think twice about spending excessive amounts of time in shopping malls. Um, so this is definitely harming Kenya's economy, but um, I don't know if they have much of a choice. Um, as to whether or not they'll continue um, to support the African Union uh, in Somalia as one of the most um, forceful militaries in the region. Have they been coordinating with Amazon quite closely, or is it was your impression mostly that the Kenyan operations and Amazon's operations are not strictly linked all the time? I'm not sure, to be honest. I would assume that anything that they carry out would have to pass through the African Union mission in Somalia just because their forces are part of the um, are part of the ground force, um, but I'm not necessarily sure if if everything has to pass through the African Union. Um, I would assume, but I I actually yeah I really don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. And from the the time that you spent there, are there any particular stories or events that you saw that that stand out as worth mentioning? Well, this night raid that we went on um, was to capture a specific group of people who had been responsible for um, plotting attacks within Mogadishu. So we went out at night with the special forces, um, all suited up in armored personnel carriers. Uh, we had about 10 vehicles with us um, and waited till just before dawn. It must have been around 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And... Um, went out with these, these troops all suited up um, in their night vision goggles, um, and they actually went in and, and raided um, what appeared to be kind of an Al-Shabaab uh, stronghold, or stronghold, not the right word, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? They raided, uh, I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> <laughs> they basically pulled these guys out of their home in the middle of the night, and these had been men that they were that they were searching for. Um, so that was quite interesting. We got to go, we got to walk down the street in this night raid, and um, they had these men blindfolded, um, hands tied behind their backs in the middle of the street um, in the middle of the night. Um, and we were told that they were being driven away for interrogation. Um, so that was quite. Uh, an amazing experience to have. Um, but then it kind of just also proved that Al-Shabaab is operating um, even within Mogadishu, a place that, you know, people have claimed has been cleared of Al-Shabaab and somewhat safe um, by Somali standards. And did you know which countries supplied the special forces? So this was a joint operation, again, with the Somali National Army. Um 
So some some of them were Somali, and then some were um, African Union Special Forces as well. Um, so I believe there were some Nigerians, um, also uh, Ugandans. Um, but again, it was it was a joint operation. So the African Union uh, set up a perimeter for the night raid. And then um, once the perimeter was set and they had secured everything, then the Somali uh, forces moved in. So the Somalis were actually the ones that went into this specific location, the specific house, um, brought the men out. Um, so they were actually the ones interacting with the Somalis and, and uh, binding their hands, covering their eyes and bringing them out into the streets. Um, but it was the African Union forces that were actually securing securing the place. So in terms of operating together, this seemed, seemed to work quite well and they had a, um, quite a strong system set up. Oh, great. And then with that, I mean, as far as people watching Somalia, so not the rest of the world, certainly at the moment it feels like, but over the next few months, what do you think are, are going to be sort of key developments? So, I mean, what are, what are, what are the trends likely going to be? So certainly that operation that you mentioned to try and evict Al-Shabaab from um, another port town. I mean, is there anything else planned that you're aware of that, that you and Amazon are looking at pursuing? Well, I think this next offensive on Barraway um, will be quite extensive and quite difficult because this this has been the stronghold. Um, and again, this is a port city, so it's a it's a really big source of revenue, um, and maybe even a necessary source of revenue um, for Al Shabaab. I also heard recently that the forces, the Amazon forces in Mogadishu, have really been um, really been targeting um, people who have the ability and the necessary equipment um, for explosives. So they've been targeting people who um, are actually the ones constructing these bombs and working with explosives. Um, so that's been a main focus as well, kind of pulling out these key individuals um, who are causing the most problems. Um, but another thing to consider too is is the lack of funding Somalia has these days. Um, and again, we have the UN talking about a famine um, in the upcoming months, and that's said to affect over 300,000 people. So there's a lot more going on in the country besides um, just the military offensive. And again, it's this year, I think they're about a third of the way through the funding um, that they would expect to have. So as a country, not just militarily, but um, for humanitarian issues, it's extremely underfunded. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you.